can just take your time, make sure everybody gets it. But I'm ears pinned back today. It's football season. It's the last few weeks, and we're like going for it, okay? The last few weeks of the year. Um, Mary's impulse here was to praise. Uh, and this is, is so huge because I think her responsive, impulsive praise becomes a series, a deep series on the character of God and the qualities of those on whom his favor and his mercy rests and what the content of our praise should look like. It's a deep, deep well and lesson. And we, before we get into talking about, I think, the, the quality of our praise or the character of God inside of this, we've, we've got to understand what praise is. Praise is something in the Hebrew language they have like seven different words for. When we read it in the Old Testament, we just read praise. But they got all kinds of words for it. And, and praise is really about exuberance. It's about passion. It's about a release. And I would just guess that for a lot of us, that's lacking from our walk with the Lord. Praise, especially when we're in a situation like Mary's. A 14-year-old girl is about to teach us how to praise. Just that's, that's humbling in itself. And so I think as we get into this, we've got to understand deeply what praise is, that it's to exalt God, to adore God. It's, it's, it's natural when we watch a football game or something that you're really into. I don't know, American Idol, I don't know what you're into, but when you're into it, it's just an impulse. Like I, like I think when people start to watch football, I can remember at the beginning of our marriage, Taryn was not super into it, but she has obliged and now she's... She's, into, she's, she's sort of into it. She fakes it most of the time really well. But when someone's learning how to like watch football, they're like watching everybody else's cues. Like, oh, this is the time we stand up and cheer. And like I, I watched it with my boys as they're learning the game. But now like they're not watching for cues for me. Like they're just impulses. Like, oh man, they should have got that. They're just, they just celebrate when it's a touchdown. And, and what was once unnatural has become their natural impulse and instinct, and I think the same should say of our praise. And I think there's three particular things that Mary reveals to us about her praise in this text. First is that Mary's praise was personal. Secondly, that her praise was pure. And thirdly, that her praise was actually deeply prophetic. It was, it was personal, it was pure, and it was deeply prophetic. And so I want to talk to you about that. You see, this room is filled with people that come from all kinds of walks of life and religious upbringing. Some of you grew up with atheists as parents. Some of you grew up with uh, just completely different religions. Some of you with agnostic parents or non-practicing Catholic parents. Or, or I don't know what the environment, maybe a strict Baptist background, and you were there every time the door opened up. I don't, I don't know. But we all came from different places, no matter what it was. And, and there is a point in a child's life, and we get a lot of childs declaring, um, child's children declaring the Holy Spirit's going to help me with all this don't worry um, the, the ch uh, all kinds of children declaring their, their faith and their trust in Jesus but there comes a point in which it's no longer mom and dad's faith but it's, it's my faith it becomes personal and I, I think for me that that took place I had grown up in the church and I'd prayed the sinner's prayer I'd been baptized and, and I did all the right things for the most part as far as anyone could tell and um, then I took a trip in my early teenage years to Mexico and I slept outside for two weeks and I didn't take a shower for two weeks and I had a serious white man afro going on. It was glorious. And so if you scroll real deep in my photos on Facebook, which I do not encourage you to do, 
but you can find it for those of you interested. But um, I had a serious white man afro going on, and it was in this time at my young teenage years that I came face to face with my American privilege. I came face to face with my personal pride. I came face to face with Jesus. And we sang a song, we sang it over and over all week on this mission trip. I was part of the first mission trip I was ever a part of. We sang it all week, and I can still remember uh, the, the tune to it, and I remember most of the lyrics, and it was just simply called At the Foot of the Cross. I came face to face with the foot of the cross. I humbled myself, and it got personal for me. And, and as we sang that song, that became my favorite song for years and years, and still right now I get the chills just thinking about it because that was a moment for me that was personal. And I just sang At the Foot of the Cross where I kneel in adoration, God, where I sing praise to you. I lay my burdens down. It was just so personal for me. And, and what I, I find is that for a, a lot of people in America, it doesn't matter what your Facebook status says. It doesn't matter how many times you attend church or, or what people think about you. Your faith is not personal. It's cultural. It's religious. Like, and, and I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to throw things, but I'm saying like God desires that and he's jealous for your personal praise. And like when we all show up and sing and declare of God's goodness, you know what? Like he's, he's receiving that, but in, in your relationship with him, he's missing out on yours. He's missing out on your worship. He's missing out on your praise because it's not personal. And I think this is something that Mary deeply understood. Look back at the text. She said, my soul glorifies God. She said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And for those of you that grew up in Catholic backgrounds, the Catholics often teach that Mary was perfect. But here's the deal. We don't need Mary to be perfect. We aren't saved by Mary's perfection. We're saved by Jesus' perfection. So regardless of what you, you think about that, I don't know why she would say, my, my Savior? Because usually people who need a Savior... Sinners? And I think she understood that because she deeply knew the scriptures and she, she had seen the flaws of her people and that she too had fallen short and that she needed a, a savior. She says, he's mindful of me, his mercy on me. You have done great things for me. Like she, she just lists them out and it was personal for her. But I know for a lot of us, it's not personal. Our praise is hidden behind a crowd. Our, our, our praise is hidden behind good works. But good works can't replace our praise. Showing up and saying the right things doesn't replace your praise. Like being a good moral person doesn't replace your praise of which God is jealous for and he is longing for and he is mostly, he's worthy of. And we sang about it all more. He's worthy of it. More than anything else in our life, everything else gets our praise. She understood that and I wonder if, if some of us don't understand that today. It was personal for her. Praise was personal. Second, it was pure. Fourteen-year-old girl, but that—that that, her age had nothing to do with the purity of her heart. She begins to recount this, and, and, and I think a, a lot of people's faith has been marred and tainted over the years. I think a lot of people in our city are jaded about church and about God. Um, what was once pure is now marred. Um, we have three kids, and they're all pretty young. Uh, our boys are now taking showers full-time, which is cool because it's less work on me to have to, like, bend over and do the bath thing. So super selfish, but it's true. Some of my people, like, feel that. 
Um, they used to all take a bath, and because we're super frugal, like, everybody got in the same bath. Anybody, like, know what I'm talking about? So how that looks like, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, so how that looks like is we take the first one, and that water is crystal clean, pure, coming out, and it's just as clean as Jacksonville water can be. You know what I mean? And so it, it's, it's in there. And then we put the first one in, and then the soap suds start going, and the toe jam and all the crust stuff that they brought from the playground. We start wiping boogers off their face with the rag and rinsing it off, and that water is not clean anymore. It's not as pure as it was two seconds ago when they got in there, right? And so we pull that one in, we get her favorite little giraffe towel, and, and we send her on her way, and then we get the second one, and we drop them in there, and we're frugal, so that water's still warm, we're doing this fast so the water doesn't get cold, and so we drop them in there, and the same thing, all the stuff that they've dragged in from the playground starts getting washed up, a little more soap suds, and inevitably, it's so warm, and so just something just starts leaking, I just gotta go, you know, I just gotta go. Those are parents that are laughing. They know this is true. And so I don't get them out. I just say, ah, oh, come on, come on. And I just kind of shoo that over there and just a little extra soap and hopefully it, it cancels each other out, you know. But, um, and so we finish that process. So it's not now everything they've dragged in, but it's also what was in them is coming out. And so we get that one out and I'm not a good enough parent to draw new water, so it's like, jump in, jump in. And inevitably, every single time, within 60 seconds, we put the third one in there, they got to drink the water. And I'm like, don't, no, like, don't. This is where I get like, you know, well, then change the water. Um, I'm like, don't drink the pee-pee water. If I said that one time, I've said it a thousand times, if, if I had a nickel for every time I said, don't drink the pee-pee water, the next gym building would be done. Like, it would be built. And it's everything that they've dragged in. It's everything that was inside of them. And it used to be pure, but it don't take long. What was pure is not pure anymore. And I just think a lot of our faith has gotten like that too. I think we live in a city that's extremely jaded by church. I think there's a lot of people's faith who's really disillusioned and, and jaded has become a, 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 a safe word for people to use that have been hurt by the church, but we, we serve a healer. And what jaded ends up being cover for is lukewarm. People that are not seeking the face of Jesus any longer and, and making excuses for why I won't draw clo- close and forgive like we talked about last week. And, and now praise that was once pure at the beginning I'm just a spectator now. I've been hurt. And it's all through our city, and I know it's sitting in this church too. And God's calling us beyond that. He says he's going to spew the lukewarm out of his mouth, and that's not to, to, to scare you, but it's to say, like, move beyond it. Move beyond the jaded. Be healed and step into who he has called you to be as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a first step into who God's called you to be. And it begins on the battleground of a personal relationship and a personal encounter that your worship gets personal and it gets very pure. I don't care what anybody else is saying. I don't care what the lights are doing. I don't care if we're like having technical issues. My praise is pure. That's all I'm focused on, that he's worthy. And this is something that Mary understands. She's, she says this. She, she says this uh, about God's mercy, that, that God shows mercy um, on those who fear him. She reflects on her humble state, that she's not better. She begins to speak about those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
I'm not blatantly proud. I'm just proud of my inmost thoughts. That was me. I knew how to say the right things. I knew how to do the right things. But you know who else did? Herod. Herod said the right things and did the right things. He said to the Magi, hey, you guys come here. You go find her so that I too may go worship him. He said the right things. He did the right things. His motives were not pure. He wanted to kill the child. And I'm not saying you want to kill a child. But I'm saying, hey, are you proud in your inmost thoughts? And holding back praise that he is worthy of. Mary's heart was pure. And she talks about the fear of God. And I've talked about this many times over the years. But for some of you, this is the first time. So I'll say it again. The fear of God is an ultimate reverence and honor of God. It's as deep and as high as we can honor God in our mind and being that we're possible. That's, that's the ultimate fear of God. And, and many of us, we came to know the Lord through the fear of God. Um, and like a health, you know, fire and brimstone preacher that I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. Like this is, that sounds better. So we came to the Lord there. I've heard a lot of people say this, that I was running as hard as I could away from God. And I just had this lingering thought. They couldn't really say it was the Lord, but I've had this thought that if I were to die today, I know that heaven would not be my home. And for some of them, that's the fear of God, but I believe that every believer, maybe we've got to have that, first of all, where he is, he's first in everything. And so whether you make him first or not, he's first. He existed before any of us will, had, and before the world was formed, and he has and always will be. And so he's first, and this is the theological term, the preeminence of God, that he's first. He's sovereign over all. He's over all. And so he's got to be there, but, but I think there's, the New Testament really leads us to a deeper understanding of that, that. I mean, there's not in emotions, which is what John says in 1 John 4, which is that perfect love casts out fear. And if you look at those things, how are they possible? Well, I believe that that the ultimate reverence and fear for God and the perfect love of God are the same thing. But we no longer operate by the emotion of fear. We operate by the emotion of love. And so I'm not afraid of what dad's going to do to me anymore. I'm actually just, I love him and I know he loves me and that's why I obey. And so what Mary's pointing us to very prophetically this morning for some of us, she's pointing us to the purity of our heart and that the fear of God and perfect love for God will actually purify our obedience. It'll purify our faith. It'll purify our praise. So don't hold back. And if there's inmost proud thoughts in you, let them go today and give the praise that he is due. I want to ask you, is your faith personal? Is your praise personal? And has your praise gotten jaded? Have you lost the purity of your praise and become lukewarm in it? The third thing, and as soon as I've, I said this word, some of you immediately got scared because I believe that Mary's praise was not only personal and pure, but it was very prophetic. It was deeply prophetic. When you hear prophetic, you often think about fortune tellers or something like that. That's just like the image, but it, it's really void of context and what the role of the prophet um, is in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Ephesians five tells us, uh, Ephesians four tells us uh, that uh, Christ Himself gave the church, gave us uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and pastors to the church to equip us for ministry that we may uh, obtain and, and come into the full measure of of Christ. And so our, our maturity is dependent on people walking in that gift. And so, but we often misunderstand it because we think it's like a bunch of foretelling. And we'll talk about 
the prophecies that led up to the Messiah. I mean, there's just so many of them that were fulfilled in the Christ child. We've talked about that in the past and will in the future. But today, just I think, I think the role of the prophet is, is far deeper than just like telling of the future. And um, it it's ends up being more like that of a parent telling the future. Um, when your child has burned their hand on a stovetop, and you're like, don't touch that stovetop. Like, I've seen you do it before, and if you touch it, you're going to burn, and you're going to regret it, and it's not going to be good for your health, and you're not going to feel anything for six weeks, and don't touch it. Don't touch it. And then they touch it, of course, because they have to see for themselves, and they touch it, and you're like, well, like, I don't want to be the parent, but I did tell you so. I told you that was going to happen. I think that's more of the wrath, the prophets in the Old Testament as you read through. They're like, hey, Stop. You've been unfaithful. God wants you to come back. Return to the Lord. Like, stop. Stop. Come back. Return to the Lord. And and they declare the promises. They remind people of the promises of God. And that's a deep part of the prophetic is not like, oh, here's a new idea that's outside of like God's scripture or anything that's been revealed already. It's it's being able to know and have God's word hidden in your heart that you can declare his promises because he's faithful. If the prophet tries to make it about themselves and what they think or whatever, they're going to miss it, you know, nine times out of ten. But if they make it, I'm going to declare the promises of God and the truth of God. And I think that's missing. Standing on the promises of God is missing from a lot of our faith. It's missing from a lot of our prayer, a lot of our worship, because the Old Testament is filled with examples of what she's talking about. I mean, look at it in the text right here. She brought down rulers from their thrones. Mary so well knows the scriptures. I think she's thinking of people like Pharaoh. I think she's thinking of people like Saul. And she doesn't even know that she is foretelling that Herod, the new, this Herod, um, this Herod will um, uh, find himself brought down, find uh, Pontius Pilate humbling himself at the feet of Jesus that he can't find sin in him. So she's, she is declaring the, the, the promises of old and declaring them fresh and anew, and she doesn't even know what she's doing. When she talks about the filling of the hungry, maybe she's reflecting back to the manna in the morning and the quail by night, and she doesn't even know that the child that's inside of her will be one that feeds, feeds multitudes, that will raise lepers and who did not, could not provide for themselves can go to work. A woman who was lost of all resources and had been bleeding for years and years, like she doesn't even no. So did Mary know? No, she didn't fully know. She didn't fully know, but she declared the promises and the faithfulness of God and the characters and qualities of who he is and who we are called to be in our praise at 14 years old. And I just, I don't know about you, but I could use a lesson in that because I, I, I tend to be far more rational in my thinking. I tend to be a little more reactionary to my, my situations, and it takes me a little while to, to get it caught up and to get at the feet of Jesus and be reminded that he's worthy and he's faithful and his promises are the same today as they've always been. And I can trust in him, and she declares that. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. He's not finished yet. She knows it. You know, our impulses are deeper. Like I said, they're deeper than our rational thought. And I I think the way we get there is through transformation. 
How do I get there, pastor? From, how do I get from this place where I'm at, which is not, it's not personal, it's religious? How do I get to a place that's not jaded, but it's pure? How do I get to a place that's not reactionary to all my situations, but I'm leaning on the faithfulness and promises of God? How do I get there? Well, I, I think these are, are, are three things that we need in our life, three encounters that we've got to have. And it's not just one-time encounter. These are regular encounters that we must have. And if, and if we begin to do these, if we begin to come into these encounters and make commitments to have these encounters as best as we are able, then I, I believe our impulses are going to change over time. I think Romans 1 and 2 tell us this. And I think I've got Romans, yeah, here it goes. We'll read it, and then I want to pack, uh, unpack these. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I tell you what, let's do this, and let's, let's read out loud the stuff in yellow, just to make sure I've kept you awake when I got my ears pinned back. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's what I believe. These are the three encounters we need. We need an encounter with the Savior. We got to have a personal encounter with the Savior. God. We got to have an encounter with the word of God. We got to have an encounter with the presence of God. I think it's all here in the text. When we look at, at um, Romans uh, 12, 1, it's in view of God's mercy. That's, that's where our proper worship starts. It starts in view of God's mercy. It's make it personal. So if you've not had an encounter with Jesus, a personal encounter, it's just been religious, it's just been behind everybody else, then, then move in, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Encountering the word of God, this is something that Mary, I mean, she's quoting, in some ways, she's mimicking the prayer she read Hannah pray in 1 Samuel 1, in a lot of ways. And through, she's just got like 10 to 12 different references to, to Old Testament scripture. It is hidden away in her heart, and that if we are going to not conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we got to meditate on God's word. we got to have a daily, a regular encounter. I'm not good enough to go without the word of God leading and guiding me. If you're all jaded and, and, and you don't have purity in your thoughts and in your mind, I'm guessing that you're not being cleansed in the word on a regular basis. And that's not going to happen overnight. It happens immediately when you say yes to Jesus, but the cleansing of our mind takes a long time. The renewing of our mind takes daily washing and cleansing in the word. And so just be faithful to that process to encounter the word of God. Don't worry about the feels. Just worry about the one who gave you life and his mercy in your life and encounter the presence of God. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then I know what I'm supposed to do. God, what are you leading? I just think about Galatians 5, 24 and 25, in which Paul says, let us, brothers and sisters, let's keep in step with God's spirit. Because his spirit isn't some dull thing that's in an idle box that we come into his presence and exit his presence. That is not the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit penetrates every part of our life. You can't, you may can run from the church, but you can't run from God. You can't run from his spirit. You can't. So if you've been running, stop running. Encounter the presence of God, and he's going to guide you into to his good, perfect will for your life. 
I believe that. You just keep on pursuing these encounters on a regular basis and something's going to change. Band, you guys can come. Some of our, our praise is not personal in here. We don't worship in view of God's mercy. It's not impulsive. It's irrational at best because it's not personal. For Mary, Mary was willing to receive something she did not understand or fully comprehend. She was willing to receive it. And the same can be true for you today if you're wandering in faith and knowing that you need to come home to him. You don't have to fully understand. You don't have to fully comprehend. You just got to say yes to him today. Some of us, it's been personal, but our, our praise, our faith has been jaded. It's been marred by all the stuff we brought in from the playground, stuff that's been stored up inside of us and it's just starting to come out and it's, it's kind of marred our, our praise. It's been personal. You see, for Mary, she was filled with God's word and it washed her, washed her over and over. And some of us, like Mary today, we're in a season of waiting. And, and maybe for you, the outcomes are not quite as uncertain. Like Mary, I mean, it could have been death. It could have been a, a lot of different things in her life that could be the outcome. But in that waiting, you know what she did? She worshiped. She, she praised in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the uncertainty of the future, she praised. A 14-year-old girl gives us a lesson on how to get through waiting seasons to worship. Because the miracle's coming, but there's a gestation period. There's an incubation period for the miracle. Are we going to be faithful in the midst of the miracle? Can we learn from a 14-year-old girl and worship while we're waiting she had not laid her eyes on the Christ child yet. She had not seen him perform a miracle. She had not heard his first, first cry, but she declared the truth and promises of who God is and who he will always be. She didn't fully understand it, but she, she stood on God's word and his truth. And I don't, I don't know where you're at personally. Um, I don't know if it's personal for you. You probably know. You probably know. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're jaded this morning. I don't know if your praise, your faith has gotten real like that bath pee-pee water. I, I, don't, I don't know, but, but I'm guessing you know. I don't know what kind of season of waiting you're in, but I know you can rest on his promises and on his faithfulness. And I know there's a God that loves you so much. He's dying to have a relationship with you. That's jealous for your worship, for your praise. And so these guys are going to begin to lead us. And I'm going to find myself in this altar. That's where I'll be. Do you want to know where I'm going to be for the next few minutes? That's where I'm going to be. And if it's not personal for you, I'd love to pray with you. If you've gotten all jaded, I'd love to pray with you. If you're in the waiting, I'd love to pray. I say, I, there's going to be some prayer partners. I'm not going to be the only one. And I just want to invite you to come. They're going to sing a song that, Jesus, we love you. We love you. It just reminds me in so many ways of that song I sang in Mexico at the foot of the cross. That's where I'm inviting you to come to the foot of the cross. Let's make it personal. Let's make it pure. Come on. Let's hang on his promises today. God, I thank you for these next few moments. Church, I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to go ahead and get you halfway, get you up. 
God, right now in this moment, you know the posture of our hearts. God, you know, you know the hard shell that's been built up over time with this jadedness, God. You know, you know the place we came from, God, and, and that faith never became our own, God. So I just pray right now in this moment that fear would not hold us back to a real encounter with the Savior, God. It would not hold us back, God, from leaning in this week. What we don't know would not hold us back from leaning into the Word of God and the presence of God that's everywhere. And so, God, we come and we worship today and we open ourselves up to what you want to speak in our lives and we're just here in this moment to worship and adore you. So, Fathom, if that's you, if you're here today and it's not personal, it's, maybe it's gotten jaded, you lost the purity of it, maybe you're having trouble hanging on promises, I'm inviting you to come. You can find me down here praying and worshiping and I, and I invite you to come.